Welcome to the wrap-up episode, or wrap-episode, of my Wax Museum Season 1. Over the past eight months, I've had the opportunity to interview 22 of my friends. Some have been people I've known for years, and some I met only a week before recording the episode. We're going to talk more about this over the course of the episode, but for now, here's my buddy Seth Payne from my first interview of this season with a story from his parents' wedding day. And my grandparents were worried. They're like, we don't actually, like, they met my dad, and they were quite pleased with him. They're like, well, we don't really know if this young man's going to show up for the ceremony tomorrow, like, for the ceiling. What? Like, because he had to drive, it was during semesters that they were getting married. Oh, okay. And they're like, so he said that he was going to be driving from Canada to Twin Falls, and they weren't quite sure what was going on. They're like, well, if he shows up tomorrow, great. If he doesn't, then you might be just left at the altar with a very expensive dress. <laughs> Wait, actually, they weren't sure if he was going to show up? They were quite concerned about it. Really? Was it, was it because of him or I think it was the distance. Road conditions, distance? It was just the distance that concerned them. Yeah, they were so, thinking... so they knew that like they'd get married eventually, but he might not manage to get there on the right day well they're thinking he might get cold feet and i was thinking well i mean my dad's a pretty upstanding guy i mean from what i know of him i don't know him as a young man i know him as an older man yeah maybe they just got a bad reading of him at some point and they're like well maybe he'll just like walk out on our daughter and just not come back and pick really and i was like holy crap like that that's really sad and so my dad's like but i was committed to the relationship i was committed to marrying this girl and so i got up at five o'clock in the morning, did my chores on the farm, and as soon as I was done, <laughs> he's like, I got my car, and yeah. I drove the 14 hours to Twin Falls, Idaho, and I got into Twin Falls at 11.30 at night. I didn't want to bother my, my future in-laws, and so I just slept in my car the night before my wedding, and, and my family came down right behind me. They, they rented out hotels and didn't tell me. he's like and so i slept in a car they slept in nice beds and it was it was great we had a wonderful ceremony and we've been we've had a wonderful family holy cow so he drove down the night before the night before his wedding got there almost at midnight so his in-laws didn't even know that he had arrived no so that morning my grandpa my grandpa had woken up early to start Mm -hmm. preparing looked out his window and saw uh, a young man sleeping in a blue Camaro in his driveway. He goes and knocks on the window and he's like, oh, Kendall, it's you. Wonderful. He's like, well, come in, get dressed, get showered. We'll, we'll take you to the temple. I'm glad Seth's dad got there and got married. Certainly Seth has been a blessing in my life and in the lives of many others. Doing this podcast has allowed me to better appreciate where my friends have come from. Tyler Jensen is another friend I've known for years, and in his episode, we were largely just shooting the breeze. Here's a clip of sarcasm from that chat. And this is inside Dubai. Oh, cool. I took this one also. Really? Yes. Really, I'm really impressed with your Thank you. flying skills. If anybody has an Apple TV, a 4K Apple TV, I don't know how your, many. Your screensaver of the yeah. aerial shots, That's that was all done by Tyler Jensen. Well, yeah. Um, Speaking of sarcasm, it was pretty. It was pretty easy. I only, I got, I only got like a hundred thousand dollars out of the job. That's it, eh? But 
you know, it's the experience, you know? Yeah. I guess they probably approached you saying, hey, we've got this great opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. And to bump up your resume. Yeah, to bump up your resume. And Tyler's really used to, like, doing things for free. Yeah. And so, so he said, yeah, sure. And he was but, ready. You were ready. But to this time I wanted away. to, I wanted to get paid this you time though. Yeah. This time, eh? Yeah. So I, I told them flat out, I'm like, I know what I'm worth. 250. And they're like, we'll only give you a hundred thousand. I'm like, well, crap. <laughs> so, I mean like wasted my time, but no, it did, it did add to the portfolio, I guess. But I mean, by 250, you're saying $250. Oh, I meant two hundred fifty thousand. That's oh. that's what I thought I was worth. Okay. I unless you were unless to uh, make a funny joke, but uh, I guess not. Oh. Uh, I mean, that's okay if if you're not. As I feel funny like we <laughs> as I thought you were. Cool. That's well, okay. <laughs> that's okay. I'm your enjoyment sure. isn't my soul. Really. Uh, I don't soul. know my sole purpose in life. <laughs> Let's just cut out, like, the last two minutes of this podcast. (laughs) I did not enjoy that. Sorry, Tyler. I kept it in. Speaking of editing, overall, putting this final episode together has taken me nearly 30 hours. I've re-listened, I've cut, I've cleaned up, and more. It's been interesting to see how the quality changes from episode to episode during this first season. And, unfortunately, it's not always getting better with time. It has been eight months of experimentation. I've tested different gain, different recording settings, all sorts of stuff. Putting this whole project together, I can say I've found a new hobby, one that's fulfilling in just the making of it. When I sit down and I record and I talk to a friend, I always leave knowing more about them. But more than that, I always leave loving them a little bit more and appreciating them so much more. Speaking of podcasting, the next clip I'll share with you is from a fellow podcaster, Kyle Marshall. He has a podcast, well, he has a few podcasts, but my favorite in particular is one called Assumptions that he does with his friend Daniel. Now, that's just a shout out. The clip has nothing to do with that. In fact, the clip has nothing to do with anything I knew about Kyle before we had this chat. Well, I was born and raised in a little small town called Rocky Mountain House. Okay. Actual name of the town that I grew up in. It is about two hours north of Calgary, and I grew up on a farm mostly. So when I was born, my dad had built this house a few years earlier. I have an older brother who's three years older than I was. So after my brother was born, he built this house in this kind of like little subdivision area. Uh, out in the country and then he decided around the time I was six years old that it was time to go back to his roots he was also raised on a farm but he wanted us kids to be raised in kind of the same way so we moved over there into this Mm. older house and we got a bunch of cows and we just started to (laughs) raise cows really and I did that until I was 18 years old and kind of moved away. Really? Because mm-hmm. you do not strike me as a farm boy. No, I'm definitely not that stereotypical, like, Alberta, uh, quote-unquote, redneck. Yeah. Although, what I will say and is that it absolutely shaped who I was yeah. in many, many ways. And while, and where I still do have sympathies for 
uh, rural communities. Like I kind of understand that philosophy because that's what I grew up in. And all my aunts and uncles and uh, my my family, like that is, and friends growing up, is that is who I associated with for the most part. Um, and so I was also in this thing called 4-H. Do you know what that is? No. So 4-H is a you know, community club that kids can join into. Okay. And it has various different iterations, but it does have to do with farm kids. So we were in what's called beef 4-H, which means that we take out a, a calf at the, at the, in the spring, and then we raised that calf until we actually went off and actually sold them uh, in the kind of the summertime. Really? Yeah. So that was kind of our thing. Now we did other community events, like we did highway cleanups. We went out onto the highway to yeah. get garbage. We uh, did public speaking. So we had to do a public speaking competition each year. Uh, we went and did, did volunteer work in different in different areas. So we always were doing something like that. Huh. Which is probably why I can still get up in front of a group and actually speak to people is because I had all this training while I was growing up to do just that. Yeah. So I would consider myself a pretty... Uh, introverted person for the most part. I like to listen a lot, but if I had to, I can get up and, and speak quite a bit. Kyle went on to explain that the four H's of 4-H are head, heart, hands, and health. The pledge goes like this. I pledge my head to clearer thinking, my heart to greater loyalty, my hands to larger service, and my health to better living. For my club, my community, my country, and my world. Sitting down and asking friends for one hour questions about them and their lives has given me the opportunity to gain more perspective on where people have come from. For example, you saw with Kyle, as far as I knew, he was podcasting, he was doing YouTube, and he was all into the media city life. But turns out, he grew up on a farm. Well, the next guest that I had on the show had a similar situation. Joseph Sim, I've known him for years, and I've always seen him as an extrovert. Well, he shares this story with me of when he became an extrovert. Uh, I was about 17, and I'd mentioned when I was uh, 16 back in England, I was very apprehensive to do just about anything yeah. that sort of put myself into focus or into the spotlight. I was terrified of it. Which is, is a little bit contradictory to a guy that puts himself on YouTube now. Oh, as, totally. As, as often as maybe I do. Yeah. Um, I was. I felt like it was my role in my group of friends to be the guy that sort of sat on the sidelines and nodded and was still with the group, still with the friends, still participated, but definitely wasn't. N- never, never in my life had I ever like led a conversation or was I the guy saying, "Hey." let's do this now, get all these ideas. Like, I wouldn't initiate anything, even, yeah. even from, like, social standpoint, just conversations. I just, I just wanted to do it. And so I was 17 at a, I think it was a Halloween party. I think it was. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I was at a, I was at a party. I don't know why I was there, because I was terrified of those situations. Yeah. Like, you've got an introvert. It's like, let's just throw him in the midst of loud music and lots of people. Let's just see how he yeah. does this. Which is not, not what you are now. I, or you you might still be that there, on the inside, there are but so many aspects of myself where I consider myself an introvert. But yeah, I think there are a lot of cases where, like, I, I shoot weddings now, so yeah. it is a, that is a very social business. Yeah, where I've had to teach myself to you know be as enthusiastic as possible and to you know work on work on all those social things. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, I didn't think it was possible. 
So this this night, um, I remember I remember it so clearly. Um, aside whether it was Halloween or not, but I remember the house. I remember who was there, and I, like I said, for the longest time, my role in a group of friends was to sit on the sidelines mm-hmm. because I felt that was who I was. That's just that's 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 Joe. That's that's your personality. That's 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 just who you are. Your attitude is unchanging. That's it. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking about it that night. I don't know why I was thinking about it, but I, in that moment, I realized I was not surrounded by any of my, you know, traditional friend group. Yeah. Basically, these six guys that were around me, just you know, drinking from the snack table, had no idea who I was, and I had no idea who I was, who I had no idea who they were. Yeah. And I think it was in that moment where I just thought, you know what? If I were to show some degree of confidence. To these guys that don't know me, yeah, is it possible that they'll just assume that's who I am, or will they be able to see through it instantly and see this is a guy acting completely out of his element? I, I wondered like how it, how much of it was perception of who I was supposed to be based on who I actually was, and yeah. that uh, that idea was just it was with me all day. I just I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I was like, you know what? As terrifying as this is, I'm going to just start chatting with these guys, yeah, and I'm going to do it more confidently more confidently than I usually would I'm going to be the guy that initiates conversation and and so I did and I just I think at the first time my entire life at 17 I like initiated and led a conversation with multiple people which mm. I, I think some people would be shocked by because a lot of people just it's in their nature yeah to be the guy that sort of you know ringleads a conversation ringleads a group of people do, yeah you know I mean? yeah and I think a lot of people that know you would think that that's in your nature. And I'd actually be curious to know if that was the case. I, no, I, I really would. I, yeah, I, I know from, see, from seeing you, my perception of you is like, <laughs> Joe's got the charisma, he's, he's outgoing, he's excited, he's enthusiastic, and, and you know, so... So I've deceived you. You've deceived you me, say. yeah. Yeah, so good work. <laughs> Thank you, man. Your, uh, your plan is working. years in the making, yeah. Well, yeah. I just had it. I, that, that night, I'm convinced, uh, changed my life in a sense. Because yeah. I, I did, I started talking to these guys, and to them, they didn't know that I'd spent most of my life apprehensive about more or less everything. I was a warrior to, oh, to the extremes. I was really? about everything. Um, like I, just, I would jump to the worst-case scenario all the time. And for the first time, I was this guy that I, I knew I'd never really been before. And the beauty of it is they just assumed that's who I was. Yeah. And so, and I, in that moment, in regards to whether I could process it at the time, I think it became very real to me that you're, whatever role you're in does not mean that you're destined for that role or personality trait or just personality in general for the rest of your life. Yeah. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. And... That changed the way that I view, uh, it's changed the way that I perceive business opportunities, mm-hmm. um, friendships, relationships, because these, this idea that you're who you are and that's it is nonsense. Yeah. Because, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't after that night, that Halloween night, that party, whatever, wherever it was, things weren't just different after that. I had to like really work it, but at that time I knew it was possible. Mm-hmm. I knew that, okay, if I really work on this thing that people call charisma or if I you know, work on like, really putting myself out there and trying to initiate things, maybe I could do it. And he did do it. And I would say he's still 
doing it. Joe's somebody that continues to work on this. Other people that continue to work on things have been interviewed by me, including my next guest, Matt Mort, who developed talents and skills and a love for filmmaking starting early on. Now, he shares here the beginnings of that and how he started with very little and started with what we now would maybe laugh at. Did you ever think, boy, this sucks? No. Like, like if I ever wished I had better equipment or anything? Yeah. No. You're... Which is kind of nice that I think about that now. But, like, yeah, I, I always just kind of thought, like, um, use whatever I have. And if it wasn't, like, good enough, I wouldn't think it wasn't good enough. I'd just be like, okay, this is the situation. I wouldn't even, like, even then, I wouldn't even think what I just said. I'd just do it. I'd just, like, record and make whatever I had to make. It was just fun, eh? Yeah, it was just, like, a fun pastime and thing that I did with my life. Yeah. And my friends, uh, or my brother and friends would play video games, and I'd just record their conversations. Oh, really? Yeah. The original Let's Play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Actually, yeah, like, the first video, too, of mine um, was, like, recording the screen or the TV. Um, on YouTube and stuff? My first video was on YouTube, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't already recorded on, like, my digital camera that I got, mm-hmm. um, it was, like, recorded on the VHS camera to be edited on that camera, and then that was, like, um, plugged into the TV, and then a camera on a tripod just watching the TV for it to be edited in there, because I didn't have any editing thing. Yeah. Um, and then I got into that Windows Movie Maker. That's awesome. And that's when you that's when you hit it big when you got Windows Movie Maker. Yeah, that's when I got my first fifteen subscribers. I don't know what they were called. Yeah. Yeah. Three or zero. Three or zero. <laughs> yeah. That's sweet. I actually I mean that's quite the process to go through to get a video together. Like mm-hmm. if you told me that I had to record on this camera and then plug it into my TV, play it on my TV, but and then record on a new camera. Honestly, though, that that like took like that's so much less time than it takes now to like record and edit a video. Like I would rather just like record it. Well, like I'm not, I don't I, I'd like that I have editing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I'll just uh, I'll leave with your computer yeah. then. You don't need it. But, like, the amount of time, it would only, it would just be, you edit as you record, like, as you go, like, being edited, which is, like, saves so much time, and then you just record, like, basically recording the TV is the export, like, <laughs> pretty much, and then it's just, from there, just upload, you don't even have to go through anything, just go straight from camera to computer, from computer to YouTube. I've got a serious appreciation for editing software. I'm using it right now to make this episode, and I use it every day for work as well as for play. So, although I like the romance of recording a television screen, I'm glad we have what we have now. My next guest was my friend Cord Letheby, who over the past year or so has become one of my best friends. Now, we were just shooting the breeze here, but I wanted something explained to me. He had a joke about working at Quiznos. Let's talk about that a yeah, little okay. bit, though. I want, yeah. I want you to fill me in because I've, I've never from the horse's really mouth. Heard, yeah. I've just heard rumors that I work at Quiznos. That you work at Quiznos, and I've always known it to not be true. Yeah. But 
I want to know where it comes from. Sure. Um, so I was talking to one of my buddies about chicks, because that's all I talk to anyone about. It's yeah. just girls, girls, girls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that's not even, like, really that much of a lie is the sad thing. But anyways. I think, well, I don't think you can judge someone on that. Fair enough. Good. That's, that's my opinion. All right. Okay, good. Um, so we were talking about girls, though, and I won't out this guy to say who he was, um, but he was like, we were talking about girls from the South, yeah. and you're a South boy, so I'm maybe boy. maybe you can uh, speak to this, but he said, girls from the South, if they find out like that you don't make money, they won't want to be with you. I don't think that's true. Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like BS. But I was like, I'm going to put it to the test. Yeah. So I thought, well, what? I don't know. And, and then you, you go to all these, like, YSA things, and you have this conversation all the time. Oh, what are you doing? Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, I'm doing belly flops. And they'd be like, oh, what's that? Yeah. And I'd be like, well, I, you get tired of that conversation. Especially, like you said, if you're not passionate about it either. Yeah. Like, you probably don't and want so, to speak And I should say, I, I am passionate about bias facts now. Yeah. Like, I, I found out I loved it like six months ago yeah. <laughs> and now I really like it yeah. Um, but yeah so you get tired of having that conversation um, so I was like well what can I say and I just started telling girls I worked at Quiznos because it was like it's like Quiznos is classy enough that people are like oh cool but it's like Dirty. but people don't like go there yeah. you know like people don't eat at Quiznos I don't know anyone that like eats at Quiznos so they're not going to ask questions. Yeah. So I just started telling people I worked at Quiznos, and I made it like my Instagram bio, and it's currently still in my Instagram bio that I'm a sandwich artist at Quiznos. So I, and it was it was kind of funny because it was like, like, like I'd go to like these YSA things, and yeah. people would be like introducing themselves, and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to school for this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing, and then I'm going to get a, a post yeah and then I just go I work at Quiznos and everyone's just like oh that's cool and then you just on to the next person yeah and I kind of liked it yeah um so I just started doing that I, f- I feel like you like attention but you like it in a weird way like like what I, I feel like I watch you and you <laughs> like when people just like think you're kind of weird so that's how you became a sandwich artist that's what I'm that's how I became a sandwich artist at Quiznos yeah, well, and then girls, like, not girls, everyone will be like, what's your favorite sandwich? And I honestly don't know what a single sandwich at Quiznos is. Yeah. I think they're called torpedoes, but I tell people that, and they're like, no. Really? But I thought they were torpedoes. I thought a torpedo was like a size. Well, if anyone knows the answer to that question, we'd be happy to find out, since we haven't just gone to Quiznos ourselves to find out. You can email us at mywaxmuseum.com at gmail.com. I think that was an appropriate time to ask for some feedback. That email again, it's mywaxmuseum at gmail.com. Next on the show, I interviewed my friend Ching, who, despite being born in China, speaks almost flawless English. And we go over that a little bit more in our full episode that you can listen to. That's episode number seven. However, in this clip, He's going to share with us a little bit of what he's created with his own fascination for people. 
Yeah, and I really genuinely like learning about other people. That's why I started my own little thing called Humans of Y Fate Calgary. So, so the Humans of Y Fate Calgary, that's something you're doing now. Yes. And you started that? Oh, uh, last month. Last month. Mm-hmm. And what, what got you to do that? I was reading a few Humans of New York. Yeah. That, that was the ultimate inspiration. Yeah, and after that, like, I've still read it, and one of my, um, well, I wouldn't say, uh, one of my acquaintances, uh, sh- I don't know her that well, she started, started Humans of, um, uh, Calgary, University of Calgary. Okay. Talking to university students, I was like, I'm kind of interested in that. Yeah. And my own little niche group is YFA. Yeah. And I was like, I know a bunch of people, and that was the extra force that just pushed it over the edge. Yeah. Started that talking to people. Yeah. Their life story. Yeah. Because it's quite similar to what I, I, I do on this podcast is just learning about different people and stuff. And yours, yours is very heavily focused. It's around the young people adults young in the people adults. Calgary community yes. in Calgary. Kind of centered around Christ or yeah. national experiences and miracles that happen to them or even their struggles. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what, what brought you to have that focus to it? I just thought, hey, it's we're all we're all LDS. I want to learn more about how Christ inspires you. Okay, yeah. Are you gonna do one about yourself sometime? No. No. Well, this is your opportunity if you want to do one about yourself. I did, uh, nah. I'm okay. No, because humans of wife, uh, Calgary wife, isn't about me. It's about others. Yeah. That's my main thing. Like, I want to learn from others. It's not about me, me, me. That's why I don't even have my name on there. Yeah. And because I don't want people to know it's me. Yeah. Kind of deal. I just put my phone number up there. If you want to like do your own, if you want to participate, just like email me. I have my email there as well. Yeah. Email or like send me a text, and I'll do you. Yeah. It's not about me. It's about others. It's about the YFA community. Yeah. And ha- have you had a lot of opportunity to talk to many people yet? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Some people say no, but it's okay. Well, yeah. 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 So. You want willing participants. Yeah. Right. And have you learned, is there anything particular that you've learned from that, from doing it so far? Yes, definitely. Different people, different out, hmm, different perspectives on life. Yeah. Definitely, and how they do. Plus, you learn more about the people, like where they're from. Yeah. Like this one guy, he looks white, he spoke fluent English. Oh, turns out from Spain. Okay, cool. Ching and I connected a lot on this subject and we started our little things kind of around the same time now speaking of perspectives ching shows interest in perspectives through his blog on facebook and instagram i show this through my podcast and my little sister soraya she shows it in her writing and photography i have a few younger siblings and i've only interviewed one of them on the show. That was Soraya Oster. She's my 12-year-old sister. Or, I suppose by the time this episode comes out, she'll be nearly 13. Now, Soraya shared with me her perspectives and how she seeks to understand the perspectives of others. It was a really interesting episode, and of course I'm going to suggest you go listen to it. But this one, in particular, took me by surprise during the interview. I didn't expect my 12-year-old sister to have such a vast interest in the perspectives of other people, the perspectives of other creatures, and 
what goes on inside the mind of another human being. Even in my writing, I take a turn to that photography. What kind of stuff do you write? I just do whatever. I mostly do. Um, I'm more of a fantasy. I'm also at writing reality. My favorite story that you've written is definitely read Coming Out of Hell. It's not called Coming Out of Hell. It's called Coming Out of the Fire. Yeah, but you wanted to call it I Coming I wanted out of to hell. call it Coming Out of and Hell. And then Mom told you no. No, Claire Hill told oh, me. Oh, Claire told you no. Yeah. Because it's too dark and vulgar, apparently. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Too bad. Would have been a good title, eh? Definitely. Um, like, do you draw inspiration from the stuff that you photograph? Yes, um, but I more so take a spiritual turn with the hidden stuff. Okay. Because, like, in coming out of the fire, I made it so it's like, it's like a fantasy base. Mm-hmm. But this girl, she's facing a mental problem, which is probably the most hidden world out there is your mental state, your psyche and stuff. Yeah. Um, The girl in your fantasy world, so it's a fantasy world, and she's facing, like, mental struggles? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Um, well, I have seven main people. Yeah. Which, incidentally, like, I didn't even do this on purpose, but, like, there's two boys and five girls. Okay, that's funny. Yeah. That's for people listening who don't know. That's the distribution of gender in our family. We have two boys and five girls. So so the seven characters are Ezekiel, Levi, Hazel, Artemis, um, Phoenix, Robin, and um, Willow. I I based Willow off of me. Yeah. um, Which I often do that anyways. But I take more so little bits. But for Willow... Her main personality in me, like, my personal, my main personality in her is, like, my wall. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, she's, like, all about, like, let's hide her feelings, let's, like, we're cool, we're, like, we're calm, we're collected, that's it. Yeah. Like, no one can see through me. But I think she's in war with herself, Mm -hmm. but this person is persecuting them. And it had uh, all these people came from a village that uh, the guy, he destroyed. And, like, some people stayed and fought, and others got some back to safety. And so her entire family died that night. And so that's her war in herself. And so, like... Understanding that and... Yeah. Coming to terms with it and stuff. I, I found this quote where it's everyone is facing... Be kind because everyone is facing their own battle. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of 
So we're all facing our own battles, but I just amplified hers. Kind of on the same vein as talking about mental illness stuff, what's made you decide to write like that? To write about these struggles that everybody's having? I just saw all of these challenges that people face that, like, no one is exact is facing the exact same trial. I gotta admit, I'm pretty proud to have a 12-year-old sister who's so aware of the differences between people. It took me a long time to understand that, and certainly, as my former teachers and friends could attest, I did not realize that when I was 12. But doing this podcast, I've seen so many different people. I've seen friends who have grown up on farms and become podcasters. I've seen friends who have grown up on farms and gone on to be electricians. I've seen friends grow up in the city and decide to be engineers. I've talked to friends about travel and change and their lives, and they're all different. They're all unique. The trials, the joys, everything is special about an individual's life. People have similarities, similarities you'd never see unless you sat down with them for one hour and asked them. Next, I have my friend Lyndon Naglas, who we joked we were church-mandated friends, which we get more into in that episode. But for now, let him share a little life lesson with you. You get a real appreciation for farmers. Yeah. Because I always talk about you little city folk. Yeah. And your charmed lives. Yeah. Just heading to the supermarket to pick up some lamb chops. Yeah. Go back home. And... That's my life. Yeah. All lamb chops all the time. <laughs> but it's just like, you don't know. You don't know what it's like out in the country. Yeah. This is like this kind of forced education on me where so we started and I was like excited. I was like, I'm going to raise lambs. Yeah. And so we got, uh, we had some sheep. We got a ram raising lambs and uh, it did not go well. So I think I'm in like the eighth grade. This is the first year we're like, we're going to, you know, at practicing animal husbandry. Yeah. And it's like all our lambs would die. And I'm just like heartbroken. Yeah. Like I'd literally like come into the barn, find like a dead lamb just lying down there. And I'd like read things where it's like, oh, if the like amniotic fluid gets stuck in your lungs, you're supposed to like twirl them around to get it out so they can breathe. Yeah. So I rolled to the barn with my sister. Was like hysterical. She's like, save this baby lamb, Lyndon. Save him. Do the thing you know. Yeah. And I just like pick up this cold, dead lamb, dead for hours. And I'm just going through the motion of like spinning amniotic fluid out of it, thinking like, just going through the motion because I knew it would make my sister feel better. Yeah. And I was like, wow, what a great lesson. And this was grade eight? Around then, yeah. Around then. Yeah, yeah, and then, so that taught me a great lesson about managing human emotions. It's like sometimes you got to spin the dead lamb to make people feel better. You know, I feel like that's a good analogy that will really catch on. Yeah, people will be saying it all the time. Yeah, yeah. let's say sometimes you got to spin the dead lamb. Yeah, <laughs> and then like the next crushing thing, then we have a lamb born, and this one doesn't die. Yeah, 
but it's got like these little crookedy little hooves and it's like walking on his ankles for some reason. And my dad's like, you stay home from school. You gotta take care of this thing. You gotta nurse it to health so that it lives. And I was like, okay, I'm staying home from school. This lamb is going, I will will it to live. It died. And I was beginning to realize, I was like, I am a failure at raising sheep. Well, I mean, I wasn't personally killing them, yeah. but I was responsible but, for their lives, and I, and I, there's like nothing I could do could save them. Is and that it was a an important thing, though. Well, it, you know, we'll we'll get to this, but okay. so the point is, I was just like, it was just a harsh lesson about life, you know, the circle of life, where it's like it doesn't matter how much I want these things to live. Everyone dies. You're gonna die. I'm gonna die. Those lambs are gonna die. You know. I'm not Anakin Skywalker. You know, that scene made all the much more sense to me, that scene in Star Wars where he's trying to save his future mother of his children. Yeah. And he gives up, he becomes Darth Vader. Yeah. Just so he can stop death from happening. Yeah. I was like, I would have done the same. I would have become Darth Linden to save those lambs. But unfortunately, that's not the case. That is not. But then we ended up learning that uh, the sheep just, they needed a, a selenium. It's like a mineral. Okay. So then we had to go get these special sheep salt blocks yeah. that have uh, selenium, selenium in them. And then uh, the lambs started surviving. The survivability went, rate went up like 80%. Really? Yeah. And just because like it's a mineralist they just, kind of thing? It's like their mothers had a mineral deficiency, so the lambs would all be born with a low survivability rate. Wow. And so there's a life lesson for you. Yeah. Where and so then it's like you just always gotta there's always more things you can learn. Always more things you can learn. Including better audio quality. Again, Cheryl, I can't say it enough. I'm sorry for ruining your son's beautiful, beautiful voice with what unfortunately was, for some reason, the worst sounding episode in my entire lineup here for the first season. Although Lyndon arguably has one of the most attractive voices of my friends, definitely Evan Laurie is the most physically attractive. Now, I think this comes largely because of his confidence, his quiet confidence and leadership, of which we talked in our episode of My Wax Museum. Uh, the consequences that followed that decision to leave IB were that I were, was able to become much more involved um, with my school uh, in ways, uh, for example, we, we had this leadership program that selected, um, you know, from the, from the top students, or at least at the teacher's recommendations, those students, grade 11 students going into grade 12, that the teachers felt were um, ideally suited to fill some sort of leadership role. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because my motivation at the time really was more uh, the physical education side of things because leadership, at least the course code itself, is kind of tacked on to PE 30, physical education 30. And so that's what really kind of attracted me to that course at the time is because it was full year gym, basically. Yeah. Um, but little did I realize um, that the leadership courses that we'd be taking kind of simultaneously, some days we'd do gym, some days we'd do leadership, um, but these leadership courses 
um, at least looking back, have paid off in ways I don't know that I would have necessarily um, foreseen, you know. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I did that because it, it kind of took me out of my comfort zone. And yeah. uh, it forced me to, I don't know, it forced me to consider my actions a lot more than I might have otherwise, right? Totally. One of the cool takeaways I, I took from that course was, um, you know, a leader will essentially not do anything differently when he's being watched by, who knows, any number of people um, versus if he's just by himself, right? Yeah. A true leader, one who leads by example, will not do differently um, in one setting than he does in another. Now, we talked a lot more on that subject, and I actually got a lot of insight from that conversation. The next conversation I had was with a mutual friend of Evan and mine's, Shane Lethaby, where I also got a lot of insight. And I started to see how everyone gains perspective in their life in a different way from a different perspective. Shane, in his case, gained it largely through travel. And on this clip that I've selected, he shares a lot of insight into what efforts he made to build that perspective in his travel. If there's one thing I did really well on my mission, it was learn the language. That was yeah. for sure a thing. Yeah. I really love languages. I think it's, you know, you see all these things in like the, the news these days about like, I don't know, like there was like this story, I don't know if you heard about this, this guy that like yelled at people for like speaking Spanish in his restaurant and like oh, tried yeah. to kick him out and stuff like that. And that's not like the only case. That's the one that stood out a lot to me. Yeah. And like, but you hear about that kind of thing all the time. It just blows my mind because it's like, man, languages are so cool. You know, like yeah. there's, there's so much, like on, like legitimately, this is a real thing for me. Whenever I like see people speaking like their, their like native language to each other, like it just kind of like brings this smile to my face. Yeah, it's so exciting. Like I, I can't understand them, but like that's that's not that's not. I mean, they're not they're not they're not talking to me. Like, yeah. it's just so like cool and exciting, and 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 I love learning languages because language is so intimately tied with the culture of a place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I remember I had this companion on my mission, and he was really struggling a lot with the language. He was really struggling with the Um, but he also really like was not embracing like Filipino culture at all. Oh, okay. And I was like, if you want to learn, you you got to just like fully embrace the culture. Yeah. You just got to kind of like forget about. He was from Australia. I was like, you just kind of got to forget about Austra- like what it's like to be Australian, live in Australia, and you just got to kind of like leave that behind for a bit and like really just kind of like fully embrace being Filipino and what that means. Yeah. And that helps so much because a lot of the way that people talk, the things they talk about, the, the in a lot of languages they have words for something that you don't have in your, in your language because the concept doesn't exist. You know what I mean? It doesn't, or yeah. it is, or, or it's it not identical. Like yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not, you know, it, you can pretty much communicate any, any concept or any thought in another language, but sometimes it doesn't quite transfer quite as well because because of cultural differences. Yeah, there's a very slight, slight difference. Exactly. What it means. Yeah. And so, and he, he, uh, he was a little, he was a little um, resistant to that at first, but he, he, he eventually did embrace it quite well. And he, he got real good. He got real good at the language. Really? Yeah, he did. And uh, we're, we're really good friends, actually. He's one of my better friends from my mission. Yeah. So lear- learning that, uh, that culture assisted you in, in the language. How did, how did you, 
Good question, Alex. Good question. It's almost like you like have a podcast where you do that for like, yeah. you know, your thing. Um, great question. I mean, you're in it. Like, yeah, you're there. I mean, like that's the reality of it. And that helps a lot. Is like that you just can't, you you can't not be in it. You're in it. You know yeah. what I mean? I think it has a lot to do with. Well, it depends on the culture. In the Philippines, food people <laughs> love their food. Yeah. Um, and so just embracing that, eating whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like trying it and, and, and learning to love it. And that, was that a challenge for you, though? Because they eat a lot of meat. They do. So, yeah, here's the thing. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pescatarian. Okay. So I eat fish. Yeah. Um, and before my mission, I was. But going into the Philippines, I knew. I knew. Yeah. Uh, like, this cannot, this will not hold in the Philippines. I can't, yeah. I can't do it. I went to a Filipino wedding once. It was... 10 dishes of meat yeah and then like a dish of rice yeah, that's right that's exact that is that sounds about right yeah yeah because that's all that's what they eat and so i knew especially as a missionary because you have to kind of connect to these people and you have to like you know respect them and like and and, and accept what they give you Oof. and especially in the philippines because people are so generous yeah and and oftentimes especially in the region i was serving in um they have so little yeah and so and and also like there's this big culture of um kind of it, being insulted, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't want to insult people. Yeah. Especially as like a missionary. And so, um, yeah, I was like, I got, I'm going to have to eat meat on my mission. Like I knew it. So like in the MTC, I had like some meat. Me and my, me and one of my good friends, Kendall Reed. Oh yeah. yeah. We were in the MTC at the same time. Oh really? Yeah. Nice. And he hates pickles. And yeah. so I was like, I'm going to eat this meat. And as I went over him, I was like, I'm going to eat this for the first time. And he's like, I was like, I don't know if I can do it though. And he's like, all right, if you do that, I'll eat this pickle at the same time. Yeah. And so we like ate them at the same time. We both like almost threw up. It was disgusting. Really? Anyway, yeah, it was really bad. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, then when I got to the Philippines, it was quite a um, an adjustment. A change in language, a change in culture, and a complete change in diet would be quite the adjustment for Shane to make. And I can see, diving further into our conversation, how much it has impacted him and the path that he has set himself on for even his career. My next guest was Troy Cooper, co-host of the Mission Stories podcast, commonly known as our rival podcast. Troy is a fantastic storyteller, along with his co-host, Lyndon Neglis, who we already heard from. Here's a funny story told by Troy, the senior companion, Cooper. His name is Rudy, and Rudy's like this crazy kid. Yeah. And I got to tell you about Rudy. Rudy, uh, I know this is about me, but I got to tell you about Rudy. Tell me about Rudy. Rudy was this crazy kid. <laughs> Did you ever have kids in school that were like crazy? Oh, yeah. And they had to separate them, of course. Yeah. Because they're not good for the rest of the pack. They're antisocial, mm-hmm. right? So Rudy was one of these kids. He's just always disrupting things to the point where the teacher is like, all right, Rudy, you get to sit over there. And but that wasn't enough to stop Rudy. Rudy kept on disrupting the class and he kept distracting kids and he would do the great he'd contort his body in his little chair, mm-hmm. his little kid chair, and he would like look at people and <laughs> give them give them weird looks and everything. And we loved it. We loved watching <laughs> Rudy from afar. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to get too close. He'll bite. Yeah. And he is he was dangerous. He punched me in the face. It was in the morning, by the way. That was a smaller story. He he punched me in the face in the morning before school started, and I was like, cry. Just, I just cry. I don't know. I don't remember why. Well, of course you cry. 
what do you mean you don't remember I don't remember why. honestly why he punched me oh, in the face. Okay. He I was, was like, being rude about it. I thought you were saying you didn't know why you cried. And I was like, well, he well, punched, I got punched you in, in the, the face. face. Yeah, no, I don't know why I cried. But, um, but yeah, so he, anyway, so this is the kid. So he's like sitting over in his, his chair. And, but, but he's still distracting kids. So the teacher's like, you know what we got to do? We got to give this kid a quote unquote office. Mm-hmm. And what that meant essentially was taking like a like a trifold, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. cardboard, white cardboard thing for the science yeah. fair. Yeah. Stick it around him. Yeah. So no one can see him. And he's he's cut off from everyone else. It's like the 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 grade two equivalent of like going into solitary. Yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and Confined to solitary for yeah. forty five minutes. Forty five days in the, the the clink or what I don't know. Whatever. The cooler. In the cooler. Something like that. So anyway, he's behind the cooler, his little cardboard thing. He's in his office. And someone thought it was a great idea to give him a pair of scissors. Because he had, you know, like those rounded, dull kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the kids, they're like knives, two knives put together. Yeah, don't run with those. No, and, and for sure don't give them to the kid who's like a danger to everybody else. And you got to mm-hmm. put him offside. So he's got like, we're like reading or doing whatever in class. And he's off by himself behind the curtain. And he, we hear this like, this puncture. This, this like, and we're like, what the heck? And... Rudy had been like carving, you know, like like Andy Dufresne in in what's yeah. that movie? Uh, Shawshank. Shawshank. Spoiler alert! Sorry, everybody. Yeah, he been he's carving through, albeit a much thinner thing to <laughs> to get to his freedom. <laughs> so he carves out this little hole in the yeah. cardboard, and then sticks his eye up to the hole, and then looks at me, and almost as as if to say, "I still see you." And I'm going to punch you after school, too. He never did, but he was this terrifying little kid. And, he, and eventually, I don't know what they did with him. I think they just gave up. Oh, man. Well, well. they just gave up on him. It's rough. <laughs> on Rudy. Poor kid. Anyway, so I got punched in the face. That's the one time. For the next clip, we're going to be dialing the mood back a little bit. A little less jovial, which certainly has its place and is fun, especially when you have a whole episode of it. But the next episode was quite the tonal shift. We talked a lot about forgiveness, which I've come to learn everyone has to learn to deal with at some point in their life and has to learn to forgive if they are to get on with things. Stephanie Sellers shares a great story from her life about this, and I've selected only a small clip of it to share here, but... I hope you get something out of it, and I hope that if this is something you're going through in your life, that it benefits you. I know having this conversation with her helped me. Did you feel like even though you hardly ever saw him at all, and a lot of the time didn't even hear from him, did you feel like he loved you? Did you feel like he he cared? Yeah. Um, I didn't understand the difficulty of, of his life. I didn't understand how consuming addiction can be. Mm-hmm. How um, piling on possibly mental illness that, you know, we don't know if he did have mental illness, but there's a possibility that he did. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things I didn't know growing up. But all I knew was face value that 
he has an opportunity to clean himself up, to be more involved in our lives, to come visit us, to do different things to, to really be involved. And in my mind at the time, he did, was choosing not to do that. Yeah. There was some anger there from me. Um, and I definitely saw it as him making an active choice, which I guess in a way he, he was. I yeah. Mean, um, but there was more to it than that, that he was making a choice to be an addict as opposed to being a father. Yeah. And I had a really hard time understanding the true nature of, of who my dad was and um, how difficult his life was. Yeah. Yeah. And now do you feel... Because it's been 10 years since he passed away then? About 10 years. About yeah. 10 years. Do you feel like in that time you've come to understand him a lot more, like looking back on it and considering it and becoming an adult mm -hmm. with your own trials and struggles, do you feel like you've kind of gained a bit more understanding of yeah, his life? Definitely. Yeah. Um, from the time he passed away, it's been pretty consistent learning things about him. And yeah. Um, discovering things about him and, you know, really taking the time to, to prayerfully um, just ponder, like, just think about, you know, who he was. And, you know, now, uh, the person I am now, um, I can't imagine that it was an easy thing to do to leave your, your children. But I think there was, for him, there was an awareness that he, he couldn't provide for us. Yeah. And he knew that for, for the, the, the best thing that he could do at that moment would, would be to take a step back. Yeah. To protect us. He, you know, he, and he did fight for custody for us. So there was love there and there was a des desire for us to be with him. Yeah. But I think he knew that he wasn't capable of doing that, especially on his own. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's taken a long time to definitely forgive him of certain things yeah, and to just let go of the rest of it, right? Yeah. Like he, you know, he struggled for so long and, you know, I don't need to, you know, question why he did things or yeah. why he made certain choices, why he why he spent so much of his life homeless. I don't need to really question that because I know that, I know he loves me for sure. Yeah. Like there, there isn't a doubt now that he, he did. And I think he, you know, and the thing that brings me the most peace is knowing that he isn't struggling anymore. He's not, you know, struggling, battling with an addiction, battling mental illness. He's not, you know, suffering. If I never sat down with Stephanie, I never would have known any of this. And that's been the interesting thing, is again and again and again, I've found that your friends are willing to share, and they're happy to share. You just need to ask them. Everybody has interesting lives and interesting perspectives. My next guest that I had was Jonathan Muirhead, somebody that I've known for over a decade now and I'm friends with well his whole family but hearing his perspective on other perspectives 
was perspective giving. Did you find, because you, you said that you weren't really ever in any specific clique. Um, how, did, like, how did that affect you growing up and being in high school and, and stuff? Mm. Oh, just kind of reserved and kind of, I don't know, all my friends, because like everyone I went to church to, I wasn't going to school with them mm -hmm. for like forever. Yeah. And so then all of my friends at school were like not members of the church, which is completely fine, which honestly, probably more of a blessing than anything else. Like, yeah. But I feel like now all of my friends are like Mormon. And I'm just like, I wish I had more friends that weren't. Yeah. Because so I'm like stuck in this like social trap. Well, I mean, you go to school in Utah well, at a Mormon true. school. Like, You're kind of asking for it. Doesn't help. But, yeah. Um, I don't know. It just, it's nice to have friends who have different worldviews. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot, I feel like. I learned not to judge people as harshly. I'm still judging people sometimes. But. Yeah, yeah. Why, like... Um, like having those different world views in in your mind, um, how does that affect you? How does that benefit you? Um, how does that benefit me? I think it just helps me to not stay in kind of a bubble. Yeah. If, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I feel like sometimes in the church we we tend to just like talk about topics that are just like like we talk about the atonement and like repentance and just kind of big things like that and we like we just have our own little language around it and like we try to talk to other people about stuff like that and they're just like what are you talking about yeah like, yeah and so having friends around you who don't who can't understand the way you do. Yeah. And you're forced to explain a different way. It really helps you to understand that thing better. Yeah. Because you have to really think about what you're trying to say. Yeah. Um, there's like a quote in Preach My Gospel, um, the missionary training guide, that says if you can't, like, I'm going to summarize it, not quote it exactly. Yeah. If you, like, you, if you don't know something, unless you can explain it to a child and then mm. understand it. Yeah. And so, you know, we in the church a lot are like, you know, fish and water. We're just like, we, we know what water is because we're surrounded by it. But then you try to explain it to something that's like never seen water and it's like impossible to explain it to them. Yeah. So I, I wish now, I'm glad I had friends then who were members because I was able to grasp the concept by having to explain it to them. Yeah. Um, and if anything, that was just like a stronger understanding of what, what things are. I appreciate how John learning of other people's perspectives has given him a better understanding and appreciation for his own worldviews. Now, someone that I know and love who has just an immense amount of perspective, love, and understanding is my friend Russell Caldwell. Now, Russell is an amazing guy. He's quiet, and he goes around serving, but he's loving, and you know that 
He loves you. He cares about the people around him. He is one of my greatest friends, and the conversation I had with him was taken up mostly by three different stories. I took kind of a lighter bit from one of those stories, but if you want to hear perspective, if you want to hear love for his family and for his blessings, for everything that he has, you'll want to listen to Russell. He is a fantastic guy, and if I don't press stop now, I'm going to keep talking about him. So without further ado, here is a clip from Wax number 15 with Russell Caldwell. So, you know, I was sitting on my butt, you know, like, I'm going to look over the lake, and I'm, like, looking over the lake, and my mom didn't notice I was sitting on my knees now, and she was concentrating on making sure she didn't run over people, and... I guess next to us there was this guy who didn't know how to drive a boat and was just plowing through the water. Yeah. Just making a giant wake. Yeah. And at one point he we ended up going over this giant wake. I saw it coming and being the idiot I thought I thought holding on tight would be the smart thing to do. But it wasn't. We went over the wake and then we the boat came back up and bucked me in the face. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it broke my mandible yeah. on the right side. My four front teeth were shoved up into my maxilla. Which which is like the upper the upper bone here. Okay. Yeah. And splayed that apart. I ended up biting through my lip. Holy cow. So we stopped immediately and my mom's first thing she said was not a smile <laughs> yeah <laughs> does your mom have a bit of a sense of humor a bit but she was actually but, journaling it being like not a smile because in her opinion i had the best uh, best smile out of all of the kids yeah <laughs> so you know now that's ruined yeah it's like great my favorite one uh, uh Holy cow. So, like, what what did that feel like? I was in shock. So. You just, you're, you're kind of, your sense is kind of blanked on that. They said too much input and just. Yeah, like, I knew it sucked and everything. Uh, they ended up, like, putting me in the back of the boat, holding, uh, had me hold the boat ra- uh, ring to my mouth. Yeah. And my sister was just like, hey, I'm going to look up in the nose for some teeth if they ain't, like, saying if they're knocked out. And my mom was just like, no, they're all shoved up into his face. But my sister went and looked, and she did find a tooth. Holy cow. Yeah, so, you know, I'm kind of lucky about that. Yeah. We, my mom called my grandpa and told him what was going on, so we went back to the cabin and... He took a look, and at this point, we didn't know I had broken my mandible. Yeah. And he pumped the my grandpa the dentist. Oh, right. Convenient, actually. That's super convenient. Oh, yeah. He pumped, like, four things of freezing into my mouth. Yeah. And so, you know, that was great. He stitched up my lip. Yeah. And uh, my mom was saying... Yeah, I think we need to take Russell into the hospital at Salmonine 
I think you might have broken his gun. And my grandpa's just like, no, he feels the outside of my face. He's like, no, it's not broken. And then my mom said, did you feel the inside? And when he felt the inside, I immediately saw him make a really disgusted face. And yeah. Said, you should take him into side line. Holy. My uh, uncle was there, and he said, you should, uh, you should call Bishop Shields. Okay, yeah. And Sam Yarn, he's a dentist. Okay. So we call him, and he ends up meeting us at his practice. And yeah. He uh, actually was called, uh, got into contact with an oral surgeon in Kalaluk. Yeah. And the oral surgeon said, we need to bring those teeth back down and split them. Holy. So <coughs> he pulled each of the three teeth. Well, four teeth, because my grandpa shoved the teeth back in there. Yeah. Uh, pulled them all down and put braces on them to act as braces. Yeah. And stitched me up a bit. That's obviously pretty far from the end of the story. That story and Russell's story. But we've got to move on a little bit here. Next, I got some advice from my friend Richard as we closed up his episode of My Wax Museum. And it's something I've had to apply to myself in order to enjoy my own life a little more. Do you have any advice for people who, who feel that way, who maybe feel the lack of confidence that you've felt, who maybe feel uh, the, the depression that you've felt, and do you have any thoughts for them? Oh, um, I would recommend that you go do something with your life. I'm not saying that you're not, but learn to let go a little bit. I find that people with those kinds of confidence issues worry too much about themselves, think a lot more about themselves than they need to, especially in social situations when they're like criticizing everything that they're doing, every little thing. But just to learn to let go of that, um, confidence will build over time you know that's something I'm still working on but uh that's just something that naturally builds right as we go through experiences as we learn more about ourselves and also as we stop caring about how we are relative to others right like that that's a big part of it is just to stop caring how we are relative to others so just I'd say go have fun Go do things that you like to do. Go do things that make you feel good about yourself. And learn to let go of how you feel that you are relative to others. So get out and enjoy life. Now, my next guest is definitely someone who is enjoying his life and who has intentions to enjoy a very, very long life. I'm excited to see it happen for him and excited to see how he continues to serve. Where do you see yourself? Oh, man. Ah, I have not thought about that. I'm not going to lie. I, I have not planned that far ahead. Um, I definitely see myself as a, a father of a bunch of kids that are all married and have kids of their own and possibly even grandkids. Hopefully, actually. Hopefully, I have you know, more grandkids and great-grandkids. I mean, I would love to have great-grandkids by that time. Yeah. Um, I mean, things that I do want at that age, and I do see myself, is having having made a large impact on a lot of people's lives. 
having a reputation amongst a ton of people of someone who cares. And it, people may not even know who I am, but they, if they've heard my name, they know that I'm a good guy and that I care. Yeah. And that they can trust me. And that, that if they do meet me, that I'll do whatever I can for them. Yeah. That's the kind of reputation I want by the time I'm 80. You know, I want to be known as that kind of guy. As that, you know, that old guy who's just funny and happy and, and willing to be nice to everybody and, and does things for people. Yeah. Um, known for a life of service. Um, that's what I want. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I'm hoping to be, you know, obviously retired by like 50, 60 and then have spent a ton of time serving in, in, in my church. Yeah. Um, and as, as you and I know, we're both, you know, we're both part of the Latter-day Latter Saint Church. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of service opportunities there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, as I said, I went on a mission for two years, yeah. you know, to, to Denver, Colorado. And I did a ton of service, constant service there. And I loved it. And I realized I want to keep doing it, right? Yeah. And so I decided I want to, after I'm retired, for me and my spouse to go on multiple missions. Yeah. And so if I'm 80 and I'm still able to, I want to be able to be out, be out there. Uh, I don't know how many I'm going to do, but I'm going to keep doing them. You know? awesome. I want to be that 80-year-old that's been on 10 missions. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, or maybe not 10, but, like, but a, few. a few. You know, and, and to be able to serve... Even at 80, I want to be healthy enough that I can do things that I can, you know, I can go and serve in the church. I can be an, be a help, even at that age. I know a lot of people at that age have a lot of health issues and aren't able to do a lot. Yeah. And I don't want that. I want to be able to always keep helping people. That's one thing that I've come to really appreciate of the people around me is that strong desire to help people. Now, something that is a little bit more unique than helping people is a diet strictly of pears, peanut butter, and vector cereal. Is that all you eat? <laughs> I've had like one peanut butter sandwich in the last, I don't know, three months. Because that's that it. Because you were finish. talking about it earlier. Yeah. Is it on your mind? Is it something you yeah, want well, right now? Yeah, well that scarred me. <laughs> Are you, that's what you're looking for. That's what you need. That's what your body is craving. Is this a peanut uh, butter and jelly sandwich? Yeah, I'll be honest. Well, yeah, because I was telling you, my my disease, my illness, what'll kill me in years to come, is that I am always hungry, but I can't eat anything. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like my stomach is full. You know, like when you're full but, and you try to cram something else in there and you can't, that's how I feel all the time. But you're still but hungry. I'm hungry. So like, when they woke up, felt this way I was starving as I could eat cereal but cereal isn't really that fulfilling you know yeah it's milk and then like Cheerios have holes in them and so that's probably what makes it so you know it just fills up space but yeah um that's I I studied physics a little yeah a little yeah. physics physics of Cheerios mid-episode physics I'm an engineer um no so I didn't want to eat cereal so I was like okay hey, you know I know that peanut butter is a very dense whatever the word is rich food i don't know yeah i don't know if it's got stuff food. in it it's got stuff it's got, in it. It's got fats and proteins stuff and in it you know maybe sugar i don't know what's in yeah. peanut butter who knows there might be peanuts so i put it in a sandwich and i cut up a pear because they had mm -hmm. pears in the island so i was like okay sick you know fruit peanut butter jelly sandwich this is gonna get me through the day you know maybe i can work out today so i, I did that i was sitting in this room and i had the pears on the plate after i crammed a peanut butter sandwich in there and i was starving I'm looking at these pears and I'm like, I can't eat this. I'm full. I feel full, but I'm so hungry, but I can't eat these. Mm -hmm. It was really dissatisfying. It was terrible. 
It's a rough life. Yeah. I just I just love that you thought that a peanut butter sandwich and pear and a pear that's, that's would like get you through the day and then you're like, and I'm gonna work out today. Do you see well, how that's the first I was reading something, okay. I'm actually an expert on this, and clearly you need some education. Okay, apparently, <laughs> apparently educate me. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to listen. Yeah, you're here to learn. So you start off the day with a peanut butter sandwich and some fruit. Yeah. And then about two hours later, you eat some Vector cereal. Get all the good stuff. You know, that's got stuff in it too. Mm -hmm. Different stuff. Good stuff. And then, like an hour later, you get, you know, your water and you go work out. And then that, with all the stuff that's in your body now, you, you're going you're gonna to get big. Guarantee it, on pro. Guarantee it. Unless you can't finish your pears. And then yeah, you're yeah, I mean, then then there's a problem. If you can't even finish the food that's put in front of you, <laughs> the nutrients that you need to build the muscle. Yeah, yeah. That's well, my problem. thanks for sharing your expertise with us. Yeah. Now everybody knows. You're welcome. Peanut butter sandwiches, pears, and, and vector cereal is the, uh, that's the, that's the right way to go. I honestly have no transition between these two. It's just a couple of funny conversations. One after the other. And then I remember we had this giant fish tank in the library when I was in like ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And it used to freak people out that I could stick my hand in there and touch a fish. <laughs> One day I crawled in the tank. <laughs> you crawled, wait, you crawled into the fish tank? Well, I didn't put my legs in, of course. Like your head went under the head water. Went under, and I wanted all, and so the beauty was we had classes in the library. So I waited till like the teacher was in front kids were behind and then I snuck behind the teacher and climbed in started blowing bubbles to the whole class. It was great. What did they think? Oh, the class burst out laughing. Yeah, what did the teacher think? The teacher looked around and the worst part is at this point she wasn't even surprised. Yeah. I was never doing anything productive. She just told me, well, go put the gym shirt on and come back. Really? <laughs> she couldn't even do anything about it. She was, she just, you know, the class, you know? That's awesome. Get their children. Yeah. I'll just make them laugh. Like I remember there was this like really cheesy Akon song that came out when I was in like eighth grade, ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And there was this kid up and singing it in the middle. Very good. Full all cappella. It was great. In the middle of the assembly? In the middle of the assembly. It wasn't part of it. I just started singing it at a quiet moment. Just picked a moment. Are you serious? <laughs> serious. And I got so many laughs. What's sad is it was still, oh, that was a great moment. It's like 600 people are laughing at something you are doing right now. Yeah, there's not much more satisfying than that. So so you had your whole school, what grade was that in? That was eighth grade. Eighth grade? Yeah. And you had your whole school cracking up yeah. at some joke you made, at you singing. At me singing. So there's the quiet moment in the assembly. And I started to sing this cheesy, there was that song Lonely by Akon, it was funny. Will you sing it for me now? Yeah, a little bit. Lonely, I am so lonely, I have nobody for my own. Now, I've had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with a lot of great people. Eric Sullivan, for example, was in a Dungeons & Dragons group with me, as well as with my former roommate, Josh Langstaff, who was my next guest. In this little clip, Josh shares with me a little bit about one of his greatest fears and how he hopes to someday overcome it. Why, why does that 
scare you? Why does why does being a dad and father and a husband? I mean, it really shouldn't, but it still is one of those because I think because I've seen so many failed um, parenting experiences in low income and growing up, mm-hmm. um, whether it be in the church or outside of the church, um, I don't think parenting is. Um, a very easy thing by any stretch mm-hmm. and um, it's it's very hard to um, to do to be and to there is no like manual so it's not like you can follow step by step parenting you have to kind of make it up as you go because each kid is different um, I'm different you're different Jeff is different all the people on your podcast as you've heard They've all been different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, the, the individual who is currently listening to this, there's only going to be one. I'm sorry, Alex, but only one individual listening to this. You're different as well. Um, and I, I don't think uh, being different is a bad thing, but being a parent and trying to understand that difference, that's going to be hard. Over the past 22 episodes, I've learned that dealing with fear and forgiveness and change seems to be a constant in people's lives. This next one comes from Jared Stevens, who talks about how he dealt with a big change early on in his life. Working up to the move, we were trying to sell our house, and my dad was like commuting from Calgary back to Spruce Grove. And um, I remember like, like praying against it. Like, like, I really, I just did not want to move. Like, I have my friends here, and it's just, like, it's going to be awful. Like, I was so upset about it. Mm-hmm. And then just, uh, I, like, started thinking about it. I, like, I guess I must have matured a little bit over the months. And I was like, you know what? My dad is just, like, it's a huge, like, a, kind of a long drive to be doing every week or, like, whatever. And I don't see him as much. Down here, right? mm-hmm, exactly. And so I was just, like, um, I don't know. I just, I just started, like. Uh, to relent a little bit and we finally sold our house and we moved down and um, I remember meeting a guy um, at church do you know Matt Shirakawa? No. Okay he's my roommate now but okay. he was the first person I oh, met in Okotoks. I've, I've met him. Yeah him. yeah you probably met him. know him super well. Yeah that's fair. Yeah. But um, yeah so he was the first person I met in Okotoks in, in one of the wards there mm-hmm. and I don't know, he just made me feel super welcome and like, oh, I'll, I'll look for you at school and you start going to, to this to junior high and we'll, we'll be buddies and all that sort of thing. We didn't end up moving into that ward, so I didn't really I didn't really see him again until a lot later, like in high school. Okay. But uh, I don't know, that really like smoothed the transition and I met some like other good people in the wards that I was in. Like, uh, yeah, I won't name drop, but yeah, yeah just like some, some pretty good people. And uh, I don't know. And I mean, I got over pretty quick, honestly, because yeah. uh, I, um, after I moved in, it was just kind of like I had like all these friends all of a sudden, and just like really good friends. Friends. So that's what did it. Friends have been a huge influence on my life. I mean, I do a podcast where I sit down and talk with friends about their lives. But friends are really really something special. Friends are a special type of beauty 
that you find in your life. And I think this next clip is the perfect way to wrap it all up, talking about beauty. You know, what, yeah. what, what makes you do that? What makes you stay active with being this interesting thing? I think, I think it's just where my passion is. is I, like to, I like to, if I travel somewhere, I want to find the most beautiful place there. And you can't, like, you can't truly do that if you're there for a week or two. And I've traveled other places as well since, uh, besides the other places I've already told you. And I've spent my week or two there, and it's not enough, right? Um, but it's, it's more about experiencing that area and finding, because everywhere, everywhere you go has something spectacular to see your experience. Mm-hmm. And that, that'll be individual to each person. It's like, well, my favorite place in the Yukon is not going to be someone else's favorite place in the Yukon yeah. at all. Like, there's special places. Or um, I, I like to, I think I've always just had a passion to find out where I want to be and where I fit. Um, and I knew that Newfoundland wasn't the place at that time at all. And I don't, I don't think it is where I'll, I'll want to live at all. Um, and that's so, and I'm after the Yukon, I moved back to Newfoundland for a year. And that just truly set in stone that I don't want to stay there. Um, and then Calgary has this mountain access, this easy access for travel as well. Um, and I think I like to get my travel fix in, which is, an I, which is why this draws me to Calgary in particular, because you get lots of sunlight compared to a lot of other places. And, um, but you have that good outdoor aspect that you can just jump into close to the city as well. But I think, yeah, I think it's just for, for whatever reason, and it's, I don't think it's something I can explain, but I just have a passion for nature, a huge passion for nature, and a huge passion for finding beautiful places. And that's why. It's simple. Yeah. That's awesome. And the, the most beautiful part you were saying up in Wide Forge, what, what's the park called again? So I like Kluwani National Park. Kluwani. Yeah, that, that's my, so in Haynes Junction area, mm-hmm. that's my, that was my favorite place to go. Um, and I think I have a lot of favorite places, um, in the Yukon say like, and that's like the same as in Newfoundland. There are, everyone should visit there as well because there are extremely beautiful, serene places there to see as well. Um, if you know where to go and that's the hard part is when you, I, that's the problem when we go somewhere, we're told of these places to go. And a lot of times they're, they're touristy places. So it's the place that that one person took a picture of that became popular so everyone goes there yeah you know so it's not but it's not always the most it is a beautiful place but there there is more i really like i really like the mount lauren area where i was living as well yeah. so last two weeks ago i went up and put my dogs and cats ashes um off the side of that because my dog and ca- dog and cat passed away last year so that was a really nice experience so like that that's like a special place for me as well so mount lauren uh, that mountain is, it's, it's a beautiful area. Like there's, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's just gorgeous, but it's not one that anyone would know. And it's, and really it's, there's, there's a lot of spectacular places up there, but I think it's where you connect as a person awesome. to find those places. Yeah. I appreciate Nancy's thoughts on finding where we connect as people. Specifically, she spoke of connecting with nature, but how do we connect with each other? Over the past 22 episodes, I have been fortunate to sit down and just, with the intent, purpose, listen to my friends. I've always been a bad listener. That's why I started this podcast at the beginning of this year. 
I wanted to listen. I wanted to work on sitting and asking questions instead of spending my whole time telling my stories. I wanted to hear the stories of my friends, the stories of the people who I know care about me. I wanted to listen, so I sat and I asked questions for one hour, or more, sometimes a little less. And we'd talk, and I'd slowly come to understand more and more where the person came from. Slowly, I would come to appreciate them more and more. So with one season up, surely you can expect a second. In fact, I'll be back next week with some more where I chat with my friend Emma Entz about her life. The stories that we tell are different. The stories that we hear are unique. But the stories that we live are sacred. Because I don't think there's any way to really tell it. But if you listen, if you really listen, then you might come to understand it. If only a little bit.